Welcome to the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian. To my left is Marshall, and we're here to get pumped. That's right. Grab your mat, grab your weights, grab your headphones, and let's get started. Welcome to another session. Wow. I wasn't expecting that at all. Oh, dude, I'm sweating. I'm sweating. Like, how do those trainers hold that tone of voice for 20 minutes? I don't know, man. It's a different type of folks. <laughs> different. Uh, hopefully, they're getting paid a lot. Yeah, maybe they're just on a money high from the paycheck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before, before every workout, they just pay them like $50,000. <laughs> they're like, you better get this amount of hyped. Holy shit. All right, let's do some workouts. <laughs> Welcome to episode 397 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. How you doing, Brian? Uh, Marshall, I have started the seven-day free trial of Apple Fitness, and or mm-hmm. Apple Fitness Plus, uh-huh. excuse me. <laughs> and I gotta say, these trainers are grating on my ears. I've tried many of them. Here, here's what I'm thinking. All of them have this incredibly fake energy Uh and I really I'm trying to understand do you have to have that if you're making a fitness app because everyone who's using the product doesn't want to be using the product in that moment Uh like is that a prerequisite because in my head I'm imagining I would pay double whatever I mean I'm on the free trial so I haven't paid yet but like presumably I would pay double for a trainer that like talked like a normal human Mm -hmm. like i think they could be a little bit energetic like all right here we go we're gonna do a workout but like not raising their voice an octave and like not doing this like fake fucking like wax projected motivation smile Yeah. yeah if i am sufficiently enthusiastic you will be too you can't help it my enthusiasm is contagious is the hope i guess yeah and what i just don't know is maybe i need to go out into like the youtube averse but i've tried other youtube exercise videos they're all like that dude i think it's all like this just really cringy yeah they're all just kind of cringy yeah, yeah. Hmm. market opportunity yeah. for someone who is really attractive and has a good personality and can work out on camera just be a normal human and I bet there's a good market of people who want to just like chill and work out with you. Anyways, how are you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. It's been a, a long week and it's only Monday. So let's do an episode. All right. Well, before we get into it, huge shout outs to Around. Around makes a lightweight video calling tool that we are using right now to record this podcast and look hey. at each other while also being able to see everything else on our screen. It is video chat designed for collaboration, not for meetings. Designers love it and you will too. Check it out at around.co slash design details. Thank you, Around. Thanks, Around. Uh, we also have some new VIPs this week. A lot of VIPs. Yeah, big list. I need to remind myself how to pronounce one of them. Got a lot of uh, single initial last names, so this should be a relatively easy one for you, Brian. All right. Huge shout-outs to Olga S., Noah C., Temi, Renato Mandik, Andrew Kim, Phoebe Goldenberg, Zé Marquez, Cindy C, Giulio Fagiolini, Matthew, Chris Jung, Brian Leach, Rachel Davis, and Radek Berka. Hey. What a list. What a list. Welcome to the fam, everyone. Enjoy yeah. uh, your first sidebar this week. Be sure to go download that separately. Uh, if you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that people like you 
even if this is your first time listening, actually support the show every month and make it possible for us to record, pays for all the software, the tools we use, the hardware, microphones, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and in return, you get access to a bonus episode every single week. So it's called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And The Sidebar is a chance for us to answer an extra listener question or do another deep dive into a topic. Like last week, we talked about the anatomy of icons. And this week, we're talking all about software design reviews. Like, what would be the MKBHD equivalent for software design critique? We're going to talk all about like sort of design critique in public and how that could look if the right content creator came along. So if that sounds interesting, head to patreon.com slash design details. You can support us starting at just a dollar a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Uh, so if you've been enjoying the show for a while, or even if this is your first time, consider supporting us. Patreon.com slash design details. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Follow-up time, Marshall. Got a little bit of follow-up. I also got a tweet, a, a nice tweet I wanted to call out. So first piece of follow-up comes from Bran Hills. Bran says, listening to episode 396 at 15-minute marker today, and the bit about not being a thought leader, but being more open about what I'm learning personally really hit home. This will help whittle away at imposter syndrome if I frame what I share this way. Thanks, fellas. Uh, Bran, I have a good resource for you. And it's this guy, Sean Wang. He has become fairly well known for this like learning in public movement. And we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's swyx.io. And you might enjoy some of Sean's writing. So thanks for the tweet. We also had another piece of follow-up from Michael Kneprath from last week's Cool Things, where I talked about a, a newsletter. Michael said two of his favorite newsletters right now are Rendezvous with Cassidy Williams. We'll have a link in the show notes. As well as Jamal Bowie's New York Times newsletter, although it's currently on break for paternity leave. Uh, but again, link in the show notes. So yeah, thanks for the newsletter recommendations. I guess keep tweeting at us. We probably won't read every newsletter recommendation, but... Uh, maybe we can find some like good design newsletter recommendations out in the mix. Cool. All right. And then one one tweet I want to just call out. Uh, we heard from JB Design who tweeted us and said that they signed up for Twitter just for design details. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. I mean, I guess we did talk about that last week, right? Like tweeting and like being involved in the community. Obviously, Twitter has worked very well for for us as like a career lever to meet people and just like be involved and learn and and like participate so yeah welcome to twitter hope you find some good people to follow cool uh well let's get into main topic all right yeah this week uh we're gonna do a listener question for the main topic so this one comes from our github github.com slash design details slash design details you can leave your own question and uh, uh if it strikes our fancy we'll throw it on the show here <laughs> we'll do our best <laughs> yeah. to not leave it stale for months at a time sorry <laughs> Yeah. yeah, this one um, looked really interesting. Victor Kearns asks, Hey, Brian and Marshall, curious to hear what both of your thoughts are on the decision-making process of building features that your users explicitly ask for, for example, edit button on Twitter, versus features that your team, whether it's design, product, engineering, feels are the right things to build based on the company's priorities. User research plays a large part. However, it's something I've been struggling with lately especially as I'm working on new features that the company's prioritizing, which is another process I've been removed from so far. All right, Victor, to boil this down, do you build what you intended to build or do you listen to what your users want you to build? Yeah, this is a good question because I actually do think that there is oftentimes attention here. Although 
I would say it seems pretty safe to say like at a certain point of product maturity, a lot of decisions could be driven by what customers want. Mm -hmm. But in the earlier phases of a product being birthed from nothing, (laughs) it seems really dangerous to just build what users want, right? Like you want to go one level deeper, not what they want, but like what behaviors are they trying to enable? Uh, You know, like are they trying to save time? Are they trying to be famous? Are they trying to earn money? There's like deep reasons that people care about the things that they care about and like the tools that they choose to use. And I feel like aligning with those incentives is probably better than just building features that people are listing out. Like, I want this button that does this thing. It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Why do you want to do that thing? And then we can like maybe find better ways to do that or do it automatically or faster horses. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Faster horses. But yeah, I mean, I think that's true. And I think it does change like over the course of a, a product's lifetime or product's maturity where you know, there will always be a tension throughout, but maybe the weight of that tension skews a little more towards like, yeah, data and user research further along. But then earlier on in the process, you want to be have a little bit more of like a gut driven, like team driven, vision driven idea of what should exist in the world because it's a thing that you've experienced or you just are, have some vision of the, the future world that you want. And you're going to go build it and hope that you're right, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should have an opinion starting out. You should know what you at least want to try to put into the world. Um, people are notorious for misusing the tools you give them, so they may agree with what you uh, had in mind, but they may misuse that tool in a way that is you know, helping them achieve their goals, but those might be different goals than the ones you had in mind, or they might be achieving them in different ways than you had in mind. It's important to pay attention to that, but for that first step, yeah, I think you just have to have an opinion. Uh, one thing I was thinking about here is, is the concept of elephant paths. Brian, are you familiar with this term? Uh, I'm not. Okay. So I think it's a pretty famous thing, but I, I saw this experiment or this, whatever you want to call it one time where a college had decided not to pave their quad or like the, the grassy area between buildings instead of putting down a nice, you know, T shaped path or whatever in, in the middle of that quad, they just left it all grass and let everybody walk where they wanted to walk. And these paths started to form where people would take the same path over and over again from one door to another door straight ahead, right? So they used those elephant paths of, of people going where they all tended to go and wearing in the paths more and more, not only to determine where the paths are, but like the prominence, how wide they should be based on how heavily traveled they were when they were just mud and grass, right? So all that to say... Look at how your users are using your product. If they all tend to be taking a path that is different from the one you've paved, you should pay attention to that. That that might be another path worth paving in the future if you can wrap your head around exactly what they're trying to achieve by taking that new path. Yeah, I feel like design tools and creative tools in general have a little bit of an unfair advantage there in spotting these elephant paths. Like I imagine Figma is such a good example of this, right? They can probably just sit back and watch the crazy shit that people do with their canvas and they can identify primitives or, or new features. Like for me, the the new audio rooms feature is exactly Mm. this. Like, yeah, like we have these real time cursors. People, people have to spin up this tool every other time to get things done. Like you want to talk over, you want to narrate, like, okay, let's just solve that. It's not like everyone was asking for audio rooms, but they had this surrounding behavior of trying to get a job done Mm -hmm. that probably illuminated this light for a figment to be like, oh, that's that's the thing that we should 
to work yeah. on. If I was going to ask for it, I probably would have asked for a chat pane or something on the side, that, like a group <laughs> yeah, chat yeah, yeah. pane per file. Give me a tab, like a chat tab. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, or just like in the file. So anybody who's live in the file, and I wouldn't have thought of audio, and I probably wouldn't have thought of the on your cursor. Yeah, cursor chat. Yeah. But both those are great ideas. I mean, the fact that it's already like got a colloquial name, like cursor chat, is cursor chat. brilliant. Yeah. And it, you know, this whole thing of like, People asking for things just often only understand a slice of a product, right? Mm-hmm. Like you and I were, I would say, Figma power users, you more than me. But even we still see Figma as like a slice of all of the subset of Figma's features, right? Like you probably don't spend as much time on community and plugins, but you do spend a lot of time on variants and library publishing, right? Yep. And so like everyone has these different slices. It's like to Victor's point about, you know, everyone clamoring for an edit button on Twitter. Like it's so obvious to say that when you've just tweeted a typo, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you're not experiencing (laughs) Twitter as, I don't know, Justin Bieber where, uh, or or actually here's an easier example, right? You're a bad actor. You tweet, a bunch of people like it, retweet it. And then you edit it. And now people have retweeted something that they didn't mean to retweet or they liked something that they didn't mean to like. And yep. I think those are like some obvious points that I think maybe are like not obvious to casual users of most products. It's like, oh, there are all these other use cases or or ways that this thing could be abused that will prevent this thing from being built in the way that I want it to be built, right? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Twitter's only path forward is like maybe... I saw a mock for this or something, but like edit pre-publish almost like Gmail's, you know, undo send, right? Yeah. Like it tweets it locally and you have like five seconds before it actually gets persisted to the database and like broadcast, you know? Yeah. I mean, or you could have a badge that very clearly says this is edited and uh, now we're getting into redesigning Twitter. That's not the point, but yeah. Yeah. I wanted to add a couple other points here. I think uh, one is, it's good to turn to user research and customer feedback as a way to inform what gets built. But I think it's important for that to inform and not to dictate. And it reminded, like this idea reminded me of a talk that I liked that I saw a long time ago. Uh, it's a 10-year-old talk or 11-year-old talk at this point. Um, Adam Masseri, who used to work at Facebook, he's now the head of Instagram, he gave a talk called Data Informed, Not Data Driven. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that title is pretty self-explanatory, but it's like yep. these things are inputs into the overall product planning and prioritization process. And what you want to avoid is just building everything that people ask for because given any small amount of time, like you're just, one, going to be a feature factory, just like cranking mm-hmm. out shit because random people are asking for stuff. And two, in a short period of time, you're just going to have a jumbled mess of mismatched features that don't actually address some underlying root cause of what a person's trying to accomplish using your tool. Yeah, just a bunch of quirks in the holes without addressing what's actually about to break the dam. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my last thought here is this reminds me a little bit about like one thing that I learned as I did more and more customer research, like customer interviews was learning how to be really, really patient with processing that feedback. Because I think what's really tempting, and I still do this, like you hop on a call with a customer, Mm -hmm. they start describing a problem, yeah, and as they're describing it, your brain is already designing the solution for it. You're like, oh yeah, I know exactly how I would fix this. Yep. 
You, do you have the same thing? Oh, I, like literally redesigning it, like making a mock of like, oh yeah, it could be like this while they're giving the feedback. Yeah, yeah it's terrible. Yeah, which is a hor- horrible. You should not be doing that. Um, but there is something really special in just having patience at the individual conversation level, just letting the person talk, right? Like mm-hmm. process without trying to to solve. But then in aggregate, like when you have 10 of those conversations and with each of those 10, you haven't designed the solution in your head, I think if you can be, have the patience to get that set of artifacts in front of you, you can actually start to distill the true thing that would actually solve all these people's problems. You'll probably identify a new abstraction or a different way of thinking about the problem mm-hmm. or a different way of thinking about like incentive structures and, and UX patterns. Like I don't know. You'll just come up with something different than if you designed what first came into your head individually in each of those calls. Faster horses. Faster horses. So yeah, say no to way more stuff. And uh, have an opinion. But also watch those pads. Watch the pads. Yeah, I like that. Okay, cool. Hopefully this was uh, useful, Victor. Let us know. Leave a follow-up comment uh, if you have any other thoughts for us. Cool. Cool things? Cool things. Is it my turn? Uh, Yeah. All right. My cool thing this week is a video game, Brian. Um, I don't have a PS5, but there is a PS5 exclusive game that recently came out called Returnal. Based on that name, you can probably guess that it is right up my alley. I have no idea what that name means. Oh, well, uh, two parts, return and eternal. Yeah. Returnal. Okay. It's, it's a time loop, Brian. It's a time loop. Anything with a time oh, loop, I get stuck Oh, about. okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So basically, it's a, it's a strange combination of a Soulsborne type game. Never played. Uh, like a Dark Souls slash Bloodborne type game. Yeah, never played either of those. Okay, uh, <laughs> but you helping. know what those, right, keep going. You know what that means, right? Like, uh, you're gonna die a lot, and the game is gonna punish you, and that's part of the fun of the game is like learning how to outsmart the game from trying to fuck you all the time. Um, Got it. Okay, and then it's also a roguelike, uh-huh. meaning you do a dungeon run, and when you die at the end, you lose everything and start over. Right? Yeah, it's a roguelike, and then it's also kind of a Metroidvania meaning that there are things that you'll pass that you can't do because there is something you need to unlock that you haven't unlocked yet, a new ability, whatever it happens to be. So as you get further along in the game, you unlock those things, and but you're teased with them throughout. That's like a Metroidvania type thing. So it's all three of these types of sub-genres of games all mashed into one hmm. with an overarching story of you're this lady astronaut whose spaceship crashed on an alien planet and there's some weird shit going on. And one of the first things that happens is you find a highly decomposed body on the ground and it's you. It's, it's your Whoa. helmet, your name on the helmet. And it's a way of like tying in narrative to the idea of like you go out there, you die, you start over. You go out there, you die, you start over. But bringing in storytelling aspects. So every time you start over, like death is actually a part of progressing through the story. Like yeah, You have yeah. to die to learn more about what's going uh-huh. on with this whole thing. So anyways... It's been really fun to watch. I don't have a PS5, so I've just been watching a... Uh, <laughs> Pretty fun to watch. Haven't played it. Yeah, yeah I haven't played it. But I've been, I've been watching somebody who is a Souls player, like a guy who plays Dark Souls and is good at that type of game. I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes for the guy. But um, the bosses are really cool, man. There's like... You know what a bullet hell game is? Uh, no. You see those like top-down shooters where like the boss will just spray out a grid oh, yeah. of bullets uh-huh. or whatever. Those are called uh-huh. bullet hell games. That's how all the enemies are in this game. It's like it's bullet hell enemies in a 3D third person shooter game. It's pretty crazy. It's like all of these things mashed together. There's really interesting systems 
of like yeah. benefits and detriments that like oh, if you take this good thing you'll also have to take this bad thing is it worth it and gambles and stuff like that it's a really cool game um i don't think i would ever play it because it's not really my type of game i don't think i'd have the wherewithal to with my level of skill to actually get through parts of the story to learn the things that i want to but watching somebody who's good at it best of both worlds yeah yeah also you don't have a ps5 so i'm not paying two thousand dollars for a fucking ps5 yeah yeah there you go cool uh, cool thing. I'll watch a, a YouTube video after and just see like a pro playing it. That that seems like my way to fast track. Yeah. Yeah. Show me the most satisfying like expert version of this and then I'll know what it's all about. Exactly. Uh, okay. My cool thing this week, I learned that you already know about this, but have you heard about Invincible, the comic book? Yes. Okay. I'd never heard of this, uh-huh. but then I opened Amazon Prime Video and there was Invincible. And it was an animated new show from Amazon Prime Studios. Mm -hmm. And I had read some tweet about it that it was like another good superhero genre thing. So I clicked it. I'm watching episode one. La-ti-da. Superhero, superhero. And then the end of episode one is shocking, to (laughs) say the least. I'll leave it there. I don't want to spoil anything. It is shocking (laughs) where this show goes. And I like this genre. I don't know. I suppose there's valid criticism of like just violent superhero content. Um, But I liked the boys. I like this now. And I binged, I guess it's eight episodes or about 40 minute episodes. And I watched all eight in three days and they were awesome. So anyways, um, the show is great. I've never read the comic. Apparently you have. And I don't know. I'll be curious to see if you watch the show. I kind of quickly skimmed through the first edition of the comic. And it's kind of cool to see like some of the keyframes end up directly in the show. Like mm-hmm. definitely feels true to the source material, but obviously I don't know how well it tracks throughout, but man, I enjoyed season one. Now I'm, I've got another good show. I'm going to be tracking. Cool. Yeah. Cool thing, Brian. Invincible. Invincible and returnal. All right. Well, this has been episode 397 of the Design Details Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know your thought. We're on Twitter, as always, at Design Details FM. If you have your own question or topic that you'd like us to cover in a future episode, go to github.com slash design details slash design details, open an issue, and we'll uh, try to get it in a future app. Otherwise, if you are enjoying the show, even if this is your first time listening and you'd like to support us and get access to that bonus episode called The Sidebar, Sidebar, Sidebar. consider going to patreon.com slash design details. You can support us for just a dollar a month. In today's sidebar, we talk all about what would the MKBHD for software design be like? So if you want to hear us discuss that and uh, get access to the backlog of sidebars and all future bonus episodes going forward, patreon.com slash design details that's it we'll catch you next week bye Bye. Huh. Low energy. Bye. I did, it's a little bit sing-songy sometimes, and I don't really intend it that way. So I'm, I was trying to tone it down a little bit so it wasn't so forced or like sing-songy. You're just thinking of the my critique of the Apple Fitness instructors <laughs> now, aren't you? All right, group. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>